Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Health Law Talk with uh, Shahardi Sherman Williams and in the studio, Conrad Meyer. Morning, everyone. This is Rory Bellino. And today we are a very, again, very timely topic, very interesting topic. Uh, we are in, in our part three, Rory, of our COVID mental health uh, uh, podcast series. And this time we're talking about older adults. Yes. Yeah. We've, like Conrad mentioned, we've done adolescents, we've done the adult population, and now we're handling the older population. So very timely. This is going to wrap up our series on COVID and mental health, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Absolutely. And today we have uh, another special guest, one of our resident experts here uh, on uh, on the older population. Uh, Gina Rossi uh, is a licensed clinical social worker. She's on the panel with us today. Gina, how you doing? Good morning, you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining. We really appreciate your time. Gina, give give our listeners a little background about you and and what you do so that they can understand your your, your level of experience. Okay, well, um, let's see. I'm a clinical social worker with over 35 years uh, here in Louisiana, and I'll tell you, I never expected to uh, my career to move this way and working with older adults. I started off working in psychiatric fields, and uh, I became a manager, and soon I I opened up uh, a geral psych unit, and that was where I first started working with older adults. I also worked in home health, and I started to uh, become very interested in this, and it became my specialty. But, you know, one of the things I tell people is that, to be honest, one of the reasons that, that this particular field attracted me was my own fear of aging and what would happen when I was older. Because I became acutely aware of the really lack of resources to persons who were older and alone. And I thought, well, maybe if I start heading and pushing my energies that way, I can learn about it. I can learn about resources. I can maybe even contribute to building resources. So that uh, it was, you know, that is kind of a, um, a, that was why I did it. it was almost for myself. So I'm. I'm um, I'm very invested in this. I became uh, a clinical social, I mean, I became a, a social worker, a gerontological social worker when I started studying more about older adults. Um, I retired from the Office of Aging and Adult Services, where we looked at giving services to people who had very little resources and helping them. Our focus was on helping them stay at home. Home and community based mm-hmm. services is what we call it. And then I opened up a private practice and I started seeing people in a private practice and uh, I started teaching uh, adjunct mm-hmm. at uh, Louisiana State University, teaching um, young interns and social workers about uh, this population. And throughout the time, I've always been very involved in the Alzheimer's community here in Baton Rouge, uh, very, very involved in Alzheimer's services, Alzheimer's association. And presently, I just started working with uh, um, Hilarity for Charity, and that's a Seth Rogen organization, nonprofit, uh, as a family uh, support uh, facilitator. So, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time in this. 
Well, it sounds like it. I yeah. mean, I, it sounds like you have a vast amount of experience. I mean, it sounds like you're pretty much qualified to me. Yeah, very, very impressive background. And thank you again. Thank you again for joining us. So, you know, Connor and I are just going to jump right in. And, and if you listen to this series before, you, you'll kind of see a pattern that we like to take. But, you know, the focus of this series is um, COVID and mental health. And what we've what we've seen work or a big issue is that there's been a shift in the mental health practice from pre-COVID to during COVID. And now hopefully we're coming out of this COVID period, but you know, some things that are sticking around and some things that are not. So um, I'd like to just jump right back in. And if you could tell us a little bit about your practice and by practice, I mean, you know, were you uh, in pace in, in person or did you have any virtual patients? Tell us about your practice pre-COVID, your practice population, kind of how a, a visit looked, and then we're going to phase right into what was going on uh, when COVID hit, per se, in, in, in that time period. Well, pre-COVID, I had uh, retired and said I was going to start doing private practice again. I had done it previously, but I was going to be able to dedicate more time to it. And I enjoyed the thought of you know getting up, going to the office, and meeting with my office mates, and seeing people come into the office and seeing them, and seeing them sitting in front of me, seeing their movements, seeing if they were fidgety, seeing you know you know really having a good observation of how they were presenting. Sure. And with family members as well. So it was a lot easier when I had an office. And I still have an office. But then COVID hit. And boy, I, and I will tell you, I was one of those that I did not have high-tech skills. I, I didn't even have low-tech skills. I don't even know why I say high-tech. I didn't have tech skills, period. So I had to learn pretty quickly um, you know, how to pull this together. Uh, uh, you know, I, I tried different platforms and then presently I'm, I'm found, I found the Zoom platform, the, the HIPAA compliance Zoom platform, because mm-hmm. at first it was a, an emergency. Everybody just right. started seeing people because people were in crisis. And uh, there were even people seeing people on FaceTime. I didn't do that. Um, I would try different platforms. And when I had to tell the people who I'd been seeing face to face that we were going to be doing this this way, there was a lot of reluctance. I'm going to tell you, people were anxious about it because they were low tech too. They did not have a a background. A lot of older adults, of course, are not what we call digital natives, right? Sure. So they had to learn it. And so I would spend time with them on the phone telling them how to get on to the Zoom, uh, emailing them and saying, do this. And Eventually, I kind of developed a little cheat sheet that I was able to send them. Oh, that's great! So, so Gina, <laughs> let me let me just ask you this real quick. So, so there wasn't some sort of resource that you, as a provider, could go to and say, "Here, no, here's how you do telehealth. Here's no. what you need. Here's the cameras. Here's the software." No. So, y'all did this really <laughs> on the fly. Maybe there was, but I wasn't aware of it. Okay. You know, uh, later, you know, now later things have been developed. Sure. Now there are providers are doing much better. I did have clients that, that dropped off that just they just did not want to do it. And I and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to go into the office. I couldn't risk it. Sure. Um, so I, I would talk to my telephone and I tried to find them somebody who was seeing people and, in the office. And Gina, what do you think the biggest issue was for your patient population you know, right, right when COVID hit, was it the the technology portion where they, you know, didn't have the, the physical devices to to communicate and talk with you, or was it the reluctance of you know, 
older population they're used to going to in person in person yeah. visits you know was it was it that was it more of a, a mental thing I, per I, se i think that the, the clients that i see they had the they had the financial resources to be able to to buy these okay. um, but, but they they really did not want to they were uh, too anxious about trying it out and I want to tell you people that came to see me they were already anxious right sure and that's right. why sure. they're coming they're ang- and so then you throw this on top of it it's sure. it's really asking a, a lot I mean it's uh, you know, it's almost incredible bravery for somebody sure. who is already dealing with anxiety, dealing with problems, and then to throw this at them. So, well, I mean, well, well, and what, what I meant for that, Gina, also, I mean, like my 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 father can't even turn the TV on. You know, my father is an older you know adult, and he has trouble turning the TV on. Right. So, did Conrad, you? Did, did you I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you, Conrad. By some, by some lot, my parents who live uh-huh. uh, in Houston were here the December. You know, we got we got the notice in March. In December, I decided I, 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 they were still playing around with a flip phone, and I said, "This is it." So, got them an iPhone, and thank God, I spent the time. Now, the guy at AT and I can't even look him in the eye anymore. <laughs> he doesn't want to see me oh, coming. No. I got them two iPhones, and I taught them how to do FaceTime, mm-hmm. text, and and now Zoom. And my dad is eighty-eight. My mom is ninety. Wow! So wow. it's not like you know. So be very careful because a lot of people, you know, they put older adults in this homogeneous box, and it's a wide spectrum of functioning. Sure. Well, let me ask you this. So, so based on what you just told us, so did you find that older adults responded in kind and said, hey, we, we're jumping right into this and, and adapted to the technology and, and were able to do telemedicine with you? When somebody spent the time to help them through it. Okay. Got um, it. Okay. I, I got to tell you, it's been a little disappointing uh, when I hear about some of the assisted living facilities or, or nursing homes that you know maybe a family member brought an iPad and they just left it there because they weren't able to stay. And no one spent the time to say, you know, um, Mrs. Bro, uh, this is how you use that. You press this button and I'm going to write the instructions down right here. And like number one, which is what I did for my dad. Number one, I, boy, you know, emailed it to him. Remember, number one, it looks sure. like this. This right. is a screenshot. This so, you're tell- wait, so you're telling me, let me ask you this. So you found in assisted living or nursing homes that there was a lack, number one, lack of equipment for the residents to reach out to family members. And then secondly, the staff mm-hmm. wasn't working with the residents to reach out to family. Is that is that fair to say? Either they had the that, lack of that, knowledge or they just didn't spend the time. Right. Well, you know, and and to be fair, this was at the very beginning. Okay. St- you know, they were very stressed for staff and at first not everybody had these uh, had the equipment and i don't know maybe the staff didn't know how to do it maybe the staff didn't feel competent to be able to teach it but when you look at it it's when you look at the options it would not be hard to bring in a a college kid or really even a fourth grader to say can you spend some time helping the residents helping the assisted living residents learn how to do this so they can call their grandson. So can is that still just, going on, Gina? Or, or, let me ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that still going on or is that, do you think it's better now? 
I think it's better now, but it went on a long time. And 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 these are nice facilities that I'm aware of. So wow. that was very disappointing. That you know sure. these were not you know facilities out there where they didn't have those kind of resources. And, and it doesn't take much to be able to improve somebody's life. And sure. I can tell you, I mean, I'm just from a, just from a, a personal standpoint, or like a, just from people, just from people, Rory, uh, that. That if you're not able to reach out and, I mean, you're already isolated in an assisted living or nursing home already. Right, right. Right? And, I mean, the inability to reach out, you know, or to see a family member or a friend. Especially when a lot of them closed and weren't allowing even family members to come visit during the the peak of this. Imagine the effect that... Being able to do mm-hmm. telemedicine, not even telemedicine, I mean, just to FaceTime a friend. Contact. Right. Right. I mean, Gina, do you it, think it that just, would have made a, a big difference in the mental health at the time? Absolutely. Now, it's not the same. People say, oh, well, no, it's not the same as a hug. Well, it's not the same as a hug. It's not the same as green, your, seeing your grandchild right, you know, right. and kissing them. But it's a connection. You know, I talked to people who said, you know, my mother has literally been in a room for a year. Sure, sure. So for Gina, for your patients that were able to get up to speed and that were able to get the assistance, whether it was from, you know, someone at their facility, if they were lucky enough or a family member, tell us about how some of those visits, those televisits went. And, um, you know, did you find that they were an effective therapy session? Did you, you know, what were the kind of the pros and cons? What did you, what did you like about them? What didn't you like about doing a televisit with an older population? So I'm still doing telehealth. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I'm getting better at it. Great. Uh, you know, you it, it does take a it's a different skill. You have to it's a different type of attention. Uh, but when I ask a lot of my clients now, some of the ones that, that were driving, for example, they're they're okay with staying there at telehealth because they okay. don't want to deal with the Baton Rouge traffic. Sure, sure. But some are are are, are saying, can we please meet in the office? And so for very few, I meet in the office because I'm, I'm still very cautious about COVID myself and bringing it to my loved ones. Sure. Um, and it's at least in telehealth, you don't have to wear a mask. In the office, I do use a mask. And so right. you really can't see the facial expressions anyway. You can see the rest of their body, if they're fidgety, if they're anxious, how they're dressed, if they're, you know, how they're grooming, things like that. And we've heard that from a lot of our guests is that there's something about having that person sitting across, you know, on the sofa directly across from you or a table. You just oh, yeah. pick up on more cues to really find out how their, you know, how their life is going, what their issues are. Yeah. And it's easier to have a family session because uh, now I do do family sessions uh, online. Um, some people prefer to say, well, I'm going to be on the computer in my room. My mom will stay right here. And so they'll be like having a family session with little boxes. And sometimes they'll be sitting right there next to their loved one. And that's a little awkward because they're like really tight right next to each other. And it doesn't make for a very comfortable setting. So sometimes they'll, they'll separate and be able to share, you know, in their different areas. So, Gina, let me ask you this question in terms of telemedicine now. Um, definitely, in your opinion, does it, you know, is telemedicine now and going forward going to be an integral part of your practice or is it just a tool right now uh, because of the COVID restrictions and so forth? I would say that it is going to be an, an integral part of my practice. So, you know, people use the term hybrid, uh, sometimes in the office. Ideally, what I would like is to see somebody in the office, see them, really get to know them. And then when I see them on a telehealth visit, 
then I already have an idea. I can uh, sense about them. You know, I've already seen them at least once. Okay. Uh, I think that was really that's really the ideal. Not everybody is a good telehealth client, though. Um, some people you are going to have to see them. Oh, especially, you know, I have seen people in crisis on telehealth. Um, but it's it's better to see them in the office. Now I've had clients who have when we first started off were just couldn't deal with it and they were going back and forth and and they couldn't figure it out and and then they just went off Uh, you know they clicked off and that happened uh, with some of my clients also with their psychiatrists because they've had to learn different platforms right i use this somebody else might use a different platform and it's it's a lot for people who are already dealing with anxiety and uh being having trouble focusing and that's hard when someone like when you're on zoom or they're on skype and someone's using facetime and that one person should go to a meeting i mean i'm not you know we don't get any just so you know we don't get any sponsorship from them right, right. but but when you're using these platforms uh it's hard if, if you're not using that then right. how do you sync and how do you get to these people and jumping around yeah, it, yep. it takes a lot of pre prep with them I tell them, and now here's the guide we're going to use. When I meet with you, you have to be someplace that you feel very comfortable, that's very confidential, that no one's going to interrupt you. And I tell people this, and and I say, I want you to to be as if we are in my office, seeing each other face to face. And sometimes I got to tell you, people are in their bed, laying down, and and I say, you know, I'm I'm making up a name, uh, Tom. I really feel like I have your attention if you sit up. Sure. And so sure. he'll sit up. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll see somebody's family member walk by in the background. And I'll say, Tom, you know, it's really important that, that you and I speak confidentially. Right. I need you to go to a room that's that's really private, please. And, and you know, Connor and I both went through that for just during the pandemic trying to work from home. And, you know, we're on calls or doing work in, or, you know, a, a ton of times when I was on calls that you'd hear kids in the background or you know the microwave going off or it's just it's hard to get that dedicated concentration i would think in therapy sessions you really need that focus and and i could just imagine you know the the issues that were faced during this and sometimes if it's an older adult that doesn't have the experience with zoom um their loved one a caregiver will come in set them up and i'll see them and i'll see their caregiver and then uh, ask the caregiver you know thank you it's, uh, if you, you don't mind now we'll have some uh, private time with you know tom as i'm making up his name so that's okay because they'll set them up and then they'll leave that's great that's great so from a from a standpoint uh, you know i want to talk more about the, the issues that you face but from a device or a you know a technology physical standpoint what what's the biggest barrier that you saw i know you mentioned in the beginning that most of your patient population had the financial resources to, you know, get the devices that were needed for these televisits. But, you know, was it just the educational part of teaching them how to use it? Or was it that there was a hesitancy for them? Like what, what kind of physical barriers do you think that you, you faced, you know, getting people set up? Well, it's different for everybody. I mean, there's not one answer for some people. It was a hesitancy. I don't want to do this. And some people feel like, um, this is, uh, they just, they were really rigid about how they were going to go into therapy. And remember, for older adults, therapy is basically a new mode for them anyway. A lot of them are, are reluctant to go into therapy because they see it as a, they see it as very negative. They see it as a weakness. Uh, it embarrasses them. So just to get them to therapy is important. And then now we're asking them to do it a new 
sure. high tech sure. way for them. Mm-hmm. That's that's double. Now, now uh, for some people, it is it is just it is the education, and once they get a hang of it, they press this button, this button. If we give them the the you know the tip sheet, the, the, they feel stronger about it, and it actually the accomplishment adds to their sense of self-esteem and that they, you know, that they're learning and they're keeping up. They they feel better about themselves too. Now, I know we've talked a lot about the barriers, but I'd love to hear from your perspective with your older population. What are some of the things that you've loved during this, this period? What are some things that your patients have loved, whether it being they don't need a caregiver to drive them through, like you mentioned, the Baton Rouge traffic or, you know, sit in your office, wait, get checked in. Like, what are some of the, the good things? What are some things that you've really loved with this switch over to a, a telemedicine practice? Well, I do like that it feels like we're all learning together. And I tell them up front and I say, you know what, Hank? Um, I'm learning this too, and I'm not perfect at this, but we will work through this together. And for us, that creates a bond between him and me. Sure. We're, we're, we're figuring this out together, and so it's a sense of teamwork with that. And, and what are some um, of the things that your patients have liked about the – have they mentioned things that, oh, I really like doing a televisit because X, Y, Z? Mainly the reason has been traffic, i got to tell you. Having to get out in the traffic saves them so much time. Sure, sure. And I would assume that it saves, does it save you time as well? Has it allowed you to be more efficient, see more patients, kind of book them closer so you have less of a, a, you know, documentation time? I mean, tell us from a practice perspective what you've, name some things that you've really liked from switching over to a telehealth um, model. For me personally, it has been not having to deal with the traffic as well. But I, you know, I'm in several uh, groups uh, where people specialize in different areas. There's a, a group about telehealth, and I'm very careful to make sure that it's not about my needs because um, I, I've seen that happen too. And people put people in a telehealth, uh, clients in a telehealth that really aren't, they, they, need more, they need more than telehealth. They absolutely need. And if that's going to be somebody that I'm seeing and I'm not seeing them in telehealth, I'm going to have to refer them out because it's not for me, it's for them. Um, you know, if just because I'm happier here and I'm, my cat gets to sit on my lap, you know, no. Um, some people, if they're in crisis and they need to, they need eyes on somebody. I, I usually refer them to somebody that needs that. So, so Gina, let me. I want to pivot just a minute here. We we've gone in detail about telehealth and how it changed in uh, in terms of COVID and and how it, it's really affected the older population in terms of and and you and your practice. Uh, but tell me this. Let, let's talk in general. What has COVID done to the older population in terms of the, I mean, mandates, social distancing, can't see your family, uh, you know, now, I mean, you got to get the vaccines, got to get boosters. What have you seen uh, in your practice with the older population? What has this done to them? They are weary. They are weary. Aren't we all weary? But think about it. A lot of older adults who maybe may not drive and are dependent on other people to get them out have tended to become isolated. And one thing I like to tell people is that we generalize that that older adults uh, are isolated or they choose to be. But honestly, we isolate them or we isolate ourselves from them. 
So that's a problem is that they have become more isolated. And we know that we're, you know, human beings need other people around them. It is good sure. for our health. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is now evidence based. This is now science that shows us this. And so uh, I, there was just a study done recently, about 2000 respondents. And, and these were people from like 50 to 80 years old. And they said, yeah. You know, so most people, their mental health was not really worse. But guess what? For 28.3%, they had worse anxiety. And 19% sure. had worse depression and less sleep. So so maybe the majority are not, but 20, 28% is a lot. You know, and, and Conrad brought up the mask and the vaccine. And I definitely want to jump back to that. But, you know, this just came to my mind because of your, your older population. And, and and I think you mentioned this with the facilities or the nursing homes. So, in and I'm sure this was across the, the country, but our focus in Louisiana, how did the the nursing home lockdown or shutdown per se, you know, what, do, what, what effects do you think that had on that population where – Literally, the only people going in and out of those doors were, were the, staff. Were staff. Family had to, I mean, we've all seen the pictures of the family members standing out, you know, on the balcony down, looking down, or, you know, the patients are right, looking or outside down, in the, or, in the or grass, outside of the right. window, or right. they're in little bubble tents. What, what effect do you think that had on the mental health of, you know, they could well, all have, the, even if they had the FaceTime, or they had the phone calls, or they were standing on the other side of a glass, what effect did that have on the mental health of the older population? Well, that isolation really that really hit a lot of people in terms of help making them more disoriented. Because if you're in a room and you lose track of time, yeah, the shifts change, and and you know Susie here is three to eleven shift, but you start to lose track of time. And actually, um, I was at LSU School of Social Work, and and we were contacted by uh, one of the retirement communities. And they reached out. And they said, we are noticing a significant difference with our residents, that their dementia uh, symptoms have increased. And not just that, our, our staff are struggling, too. Sure. So sure. so uh, my class, you know, they went right to work at looking at different options. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of the options were related to technology, getting iPads, uh, figuring out ways to, you know, increase communication or finding groups that would reach out to people who were in uh, retirement homes or nursing homes, helping them connect with the outside. It might be maybe there was a school group that recognized, you know, what can we do as a service? Uh, let's get some service hours and let's reach out to uh, older adults in a facility and, and help them connect. Sure. Now, we, we talked about this in our previous episode with the adolescents, but I want to talk about masks for a few minutes. Have you seen any issues with the older population and the mask mandate when it you know was in effect and then when it went away and now it's back again, at least in Louisiana? You know, with our when we had our guests on for a, for adolescents, they that was a big issue that they said that that kids really struggle with the masks and it's hard for them to pick up on social cues from their teachers or their parents and see facial expressions. That was really hard. Have you seen that with the older population? I certainly do see them um, struggle with having a mask, but I, I guess the difference might be that a lot of the older adults feel uh, are, are more concerned about uh, the COVID and the Delta variant, so they're less likely to take it off and say, I don't need this. They they want them on. The ones that I work with want them on, and they want others to be masked as well. You know, It makes them anxious because think about it. The strange, mysterious disease comes. And who initially, who 
who is a population that it starts to wipe out really is you know they're thinking it's me this right. th- this illness is wiping me out right right when this started the the statistics were that it was affecting the older population the hardest the worst and already some of the older adults that were feeling depressed anxious about aging here comes this next message. Well, now the whole world is saying that it's uh, uh, older people. And then the saddest part to me, you guys, I'm going to tell you what made the, the angriest because, you know, one of my one of my next, you know, things that I work on a lot is on ageism and almost a disrespect for what this was, what this was causing older adults and the whole thing about, well, it's just the older adults or it's just people in nursing homes right. as if. As if, you know, it's just as if that's like like there's some sort of like stale milk, right? Like we just just throw them out. And that's a good point to bring up because I remember when this all started, the statistics were it was affecting the older population seemed the most. And you heard a lot of people say, well, just keep them in their nursing homes or their facilities and they'll stay in there. We should, you know, continue to keep the economy alive and go to work and go to the office and let's just keep them locked up until this thing fizzles out. And, and I'm sure that had a, a terrible, that, that came across as a terrible message. I, I just think overall, I mean, and I'm, I'm sorry to inject on this, but I think that just overall, I find that there's just a lot of lack of respect sure. for older, the older population. And I mean, if you, I mean, one is the most heavily regulated section in the healthcare market, right. and you know that. So, but still, I mean, just the lack of like decency and respect. Right. Uh, just strikes me in this, and, and well, so and that's been going on for so long, oh, and this yeah. has just made it worse. I mean, I have seen, I, I've shown this to some of the students I work with. Is you know, here are some signs of ageism, and since COVID, let me show you some memes that have come out that are so hateful about older adults. You know, uh, especially around COVID. Sure, uh, boomer, right. Like, like you know, the saying "boomer remover." Well, I, I haven't heard. I haven't that heard one. that one, but uh, yep. I don't know what that means, but I understand uh, it's it's terrible. But let me, Gina, let me ask you this: In, on the same front, vaccine mandates. Okay, uh, we've we've heard different responses across the board, and I'm curious to see uh, what you've seen in the older population: uh, more receptive, less receptive, mixed bag. What's what's been your sort of what, what's your take on that with the, with the mandate? I would have to say mixed bag. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't ask them. I try to avoid asking about those kind of topics that are uh, political, uh, that can be polarizing between me and them, because uh, I, I want us to focus on their issue. Because once we start going down that way of, you know, politics, the next session, they want to, the session, they want to talk about this or and, and I'm trying to, to stay away. Personally, of course, I have my own personal feelings about mandates. You know, I, I, I'm a very safe person. I, I I'm not I, I don't have a sense of safety unless people are vaccinated. But I would never tell them that. Of course, I probably just did right now on the podcast. That's okay. We That's okay. That we, 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 we. <laughs> well, you know, I guess the thing is, 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 is it really that political with your patients now? I mean, do they see this as a political issue and not a health issue? Uh, what, are, what are the older patients, what are the older populations saying to you about that? I think that they're, the, the ones I'm seeing right now, I'm going to tell you, a lot of them are, um, 
they're very delicate about it when they talk to me. And it and actually it makes me wonder if maybe they they don't want to offend me either. They they you know, they don't want to offend me. They know that I'm very careful, but they recognize that we have not talked about mandates. Right. Okay. You know, about about that. Now, and, and another thing too. So everyone is being affected by this. This is not. I mean, you, you, we, we've we've seen across the board from kids, adolescents, right. families, elderly, uh, you know, older population uh, has been affected by the pandemic. Now, do you think that some of the lack of communication or the lack of reaching out is simply because everyone is so stressed and you know there's there's not a, enough capacity for some of the the uh, the families and adult young adults to reach out to the older population. Uh, are you seeing that as well? I, I am seeing that. And you know, one thing I want to make sure that I talk about today is when we talk about uh, a, a lot of time when we talk about adult older adults, we're also talking about their family and their family ca- and family caregivers. Because uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when this first started. Uh, you know, I was highly anxious thinking about you know supplies. You know how we all got about supplies and everything. And I, I talked to a lady who was a caregiver, and I thought, oh my god. I said, how might this be for you? Because you're worried about you and your family, and and you also have to go to your mom's house and be concerned that she also has supplies. So it's when when you work with older adults, you are also constantly thinking there is another client here too and that's the family caregiver that's worried about mom or their husband or you know their their loved one so it's a that you know that whole populate that grows you know who this who this affects really grows exponentially it's not just the the person that we're talking to a lot of times there's a support system hopefully there's a support system that we're trying to help as well sure sure now let's let's you know uh, I also want to get your opinion on how things are going now as far as, you know, we're in late September 2021. You know, where do you see, you know, where's your practice right now as far as, you know, your visits go, breakdown of in-person versus, versus virtual? And then, you know, kind of where do you see things going for, for your practice? You know, what would you like to keep? What would you like to change? And and for your, your patients as well. Well, I got to tell you, when... Um, the vaccines came out. Um, I, I had such high hopes. Many of us did. We thought, this is great. This is what we're waiting for. We're getting back to normal life. And I, I saw myself getting back to the office. And I I went back to the office, saw some people, and we would look at each other. And I said, I am vaccinated. They said, I'm vaccinated too. So we took off our masks. That was very short-lived. Okay. Because soon afterwards, we we started learning that um, it, it wasn't everything we thought it was going to be, and there were breakthroughs. So I've gone sure. back to telehealth, uh, of course, hoping now maybe the booster, maybe that'll send us back into living a little bit more normalized, uh, whatever that is. So I'm hoping to go back on a more regular okay. basis. What about your patients? Where what is, what what are you seeing with them? Do they want to come back to in person, or are a lot of them saying, "Hey, this virtual is working fine. Let's let's stick with well, this. Yeah, let's keep it." A lot of the virtuals do want to stick with it. They want to stay virtual. The new people that uh, are calling, when I tell them that I am still virtual, uh, I can kind of hear, oh, you know, I can hear some disappointment. Okay. So I, I say, you know, really, I, I can't guarantee you when I'll be seeing somebody in the office. So, uh, you know, I, I'd be happy to refer you to somebody who is seeing people in the office. Sure, sure. Now, from a, 
you know, it sounds like you're set up, you're set up technology wise now. And, and you talked about how your patients are as well. Let's talk about kind of the big bad wolf in the room of reimbursement and insurance, because I know that was brought up on our other two series um, issues that, that their practices have had with billing for this, with figuring out how to bill for it. Some payers pay for it, some don't. Uh, you know, it, tell us a little bit how that's been on your practice in your office from an from an insurance standpoint. Well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm a small population. I don't I do it very very differently. I'm only taking private pay. Okay. I am not on the computer trying to figure out claims because I'm a very small operation. So you know, other people would be able to give you a better idea. And people they send a check. They send a check or they drop a check off or, you know, and I'll pick it up later. I've had very little problems with people not paying me. Well, me and I tell them, you Gina, know what? I trust you're going to pay me. Gina, let me ask you this. Well, so have you gotten to using Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, anything like that? Do you do that for your patients or is always? Have, I, have started, you I had started that, but there are some HIPAA problems with that now. So Venmo and those things are no longer appropriate uh, for uh, for HIPAA reasons, and is that because you know, it's showing on the portal that so and so paid you? I don't, I don't know why. Uh, that's just uh, what I'm understanding from my professional colleagues. But, but, but when I did, it was, you know, it was secret. You know, nobody could see it. Of course, sure, you know, there's sure. a, some people have all their friends do that. No, I, I never did that. Okay, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to Ivy Pay, which is a HIPAA. Okay. HIPAA approved. I have an Ivy Pay account. Okay. Great. Gotcha. Okay. Great. That's good. Well, so, so, so since being private pay, you don't have to worry about reimbursement or insurance or anything like that. Yeah, I'm I'm fortunate in that way. So let me ask you this. So let's let's pivot to resources and and go from there. So, what do you tell older you know the older adults, um, or even their family members or friends? Uh, what can they do to to get resources to help, right, for the times that you, you can't be there for therapy? Uh, what are some resources available for family members and friends and even the older, you know, to help the older population um, yeah. and even the uh, for the older addicts themselves? Well, it, depending on, on, you know, where they are in their functioning, uh, it might be somebody who has depression or it might be somebody who has dementia. Uh, luckily, you know, we are, we do have a lot more telephone resources that have come out. And, uh, for example, you know, there's the, the SAMHSA National Helpline and that's a 24 hour line. Let me give you that number while I'm right here. I've got sure. a list in front of me. Absolutely. So that National Helpline is 1-800-662-HELP. So that's one eight hundred six six two four three five seven. And what does that and do? What does that What does that helpline for? Is that for anyone that needs to talk to someone? Can, anybody can talk to somebody twenty four hours a day, and it's English and Spanish uh, for for family members, uh, for people who have mental or substance abuse. And, and there's another one because you know let's recognize that, that things can escalate quickly for some people, and they're thinking that things they're feeling hopeless. And there's a there's a national suicide prevention lifeline as well. I'm gonna give you that number. And this is the national suicide prevention lifeline. It's one eight hundred two seven three talk. Great, good. That's good. That's good res- now let me ask you this: good resources for reaching out. Is there anything that um, uh, that that either families or friends can look up on the internet to that that would you know or resources or call that would help 
uh, them reach out to nursing home yeah. residents or their, their, their other friends and family? Is there anything available for them? Well, if um, let's see. So if there's some, for, there can be many issues. It could, they could be wanting to talk about their own stress or their own concern about their loved one. And uh, maybe they have a loved one who has dementia. And there are, uh, thankfully, we have more and more you know, Alzheimer's helplines, and uh, I'm going to give you one right here. The Alzheimer's Association helpline is 1-800-272-3900. And uh, there are many phone numbers. And basically, if somebody has a a computer, they can Google helpline, crisis line. But these are ones that I give out on a regular basis. Um, And I also encourage, when if I'm seeing somebody, um, a lot of times if they're, you know, once we're set and they're doing better, I also kind of I, I like to supplement their treatment with a support group. And I will try to put them in touch with support group uh, wherever they are in town because there's nothing like being able to talk to other people who are in the same position sure, as you. Sure. I have lots of information, guidance, whatever, but it's not like, you know, this other lady who is experiencing the same thing sure. as you. So, Gina, you know, this has been an amazing podcast. I really appreciate your, your time and, and, and insight on everything. Kind of a final thought from you. What changes do you do you hope to see from the, you know, the mental health in, in the older population? You know, what, what do you – where do you see things going? What would you like to see or, you know, what are you continuing to work on? Like kind of what's your, what's your, your mission at this point? My mission is to really give mental health for older adults a lot more attention. If we don't do it now, when well, we've had this huge COVID, you know, examination and study about how this has affected older adults and what isolation has done to increase their depression, if we don't do this now, you know, we are really we're. I don't know how we can go forward, but my thing is to recognize that we have tended to, uh, because we are basically in an ageist society, we have tend to put them someplace, and uh, when that happens, we alienate ourselves from them, and instead of bringing them back into our world, our community, and I'm hoping that that is a major change that comes about from all of this. Fantastic. Well, Gina, we want, we want to really thank you for coming to, on today's show. It's been very pleasant to have you here. Very informative. Thank you so Extremely much. Extremely informative. So we want to thank you for that. And for all of the listeners here, we want to uh, just let you know, please, if you like this podcast, please hit subscribe. Share with your friends. Share, retweet, uh, and subscribe to the podcast so you get announcements when things come out. If you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to see on, please feel free to email me at uh, cm at shahardi.com. And Rory? Rbalina at shahardi.com, which is it's all linked in our bio as well great good deal so thank you so much gina sit tight thank you and we really appreciate uh you coming on the show today i appreciate you all listening to me (laughs) thank you for listening to health law talk presented by shahardi sherman williams for more information or to contact us please visit our website linked in the description below Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube linked in the description below. Thank you for listening.